Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working side-by-side with leading scientists to better understand how complex data can be converted into innovative treatments. More information at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar, Susan Higgins, and Stephen Gore. I'm Bruce Barber. Yale Cancer Answers is our way of providing you with the most up-to-date information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and this week our guest host, Dr. Howard Hoxter, welcomes Dr. Harry Aslanian. Dr. Hoxter is a professor of medicine and medical oncology, associate director for clinical sciences at Yale Cancer Center, and an expert in gastrointestinal cancers. And Dr. Aslanian is associate professor of medicine and digestive diseases and associate director of endoscopy at the Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Howard Hoxter. Colonoscopy. People really don't like to think about colonoscopy, right? And especially about getting cleaned out for colonoscopy. Can you kind of describe what's involved and especially what people need to do to prepare for a good colonoscopy? Yeah, the uh, most people do find the prep to be uh, more cumbersome than the actual test. So we usually tell people uh, after completing the prep that they've already been through the uh, most difficult part. But uh, typically the prep involves uh, having clear liquids for the day before the procedure and then uh, ingesting uh, a liquid that draws fluid into the colon and then uh, clears out the colon by um, inducing uh, multiple bowel movements. So that's typically taken uh, the uh, evening before the test. And then uh, more and more when we're able to, we try to have uh, half of the preparation taken the evening before and then half either later that evening or uh, the morning prior to colonoscopy. So it appears that the uh, uh, when the prep is uh, taken as close to the start of the uh, procedure, the prep will be better. So just to kind of summarize, you take liquids the day before and then you spend the night before and the morning of on the toilet. Yeah, usually... Uh, a few hours after starting the uh, uh, the liquid preparation, uh, uh, bowel movements are induced, and then there's sort of frequent liquid uh, bowel movements. So I suppose this is not because you don't like your patients. Uh, there's a real reason behind this. So what what is it about doing all this preparation and why it's necessary? Yeah, so the colon is uh, typically about five to six feet long, and there's many folds and turns. And the idea of colonoscopy is to visually inspect the entire uh, surface area of the colon. So the quality of the exam is highly dependent on the prep. So if we can't see through, uh, say, solid or liquid stool contents, that can limit how well the actual test performs for that patient. And so, like, the stool's kind of sticky, and it sticks to the walls unless you flush it a lot. Is that kind of the basic idea? Yep. During the procedure, uh, we have the ability to uh, rinse the colon wall with uh, water. The scope has a little foot pump where water can spray against and we can suction contents. So it's expected that, you know, to get optimal visualization, we will do that kind of uh, 
rinsing and suctioning and inspection. Uh, we insufflate uh, air or more often now carbon dioxide to uh, uh, blow up the tube of the colon uh, so that we can see behind all the folds. Um, but uh, it's uh, uh, very important that the prep be uh, as uh, optimal as possible. If the prep isn't good enough, then sometimes we have to repeat the test or repeat the test sooner than we normally would. So if you're going to go through it, just make sure you really do the prep and get cleaned out for the best possible examination. Yeah, that will give you uh, the best uh, result uh, for this test. And it may allow you to uh, not have a repeat colonoscopy for five to 10 years uh, if no significant polyps are found. Yeah, when I had my last colonoscopy, I mean, I came and basically they hooked up an IV and that was it. Like the next thing I knew, it was over. Yeah, that's pretty common where uh, it's really not an uncomfortable test. Um, most people find the test to be a breeze. Um, working through the prep is a bit of a chore, but I think you're exactly right. If you keep in mind uh, the value of sort of uh, that day of preparation, uh, the actual test will be very straightforward. And most of the time it's going to be at least five years till you need to get it done again. Yep, that's most common. So when, when we're looking at uh, after, say, a screening uh, colonoscopy, and you know, uh, for uh, individuals who have no family history of uh, colon polyps or colon cancer, it's recommended to have colonoscopy for everyone at age 50. So the other important thing uh, that you know very well is that uh, even if there is no family history, uh, about uh, 30 to 50 percent of people will have uh, polyps detected at a screening colonoscopy uh, by age 50. So, like, we focus a lot on this polyp stuff. What, what's a polyp and why is it important? So, uh, in the colon, um, almost all uh, cancers develop uh, initially as a polyp. So, a polyp is... Uh, an abnormal thickening of the lining of the colon. Uh, some polyps are sort of mushroom shape, and more, uh, more and more we're also aware of polyps that are flatter. Um, but it's basically a precancerous lesion. Um, so by identifying these precancerous lesions and then removing them uh, with colonoscopy, we can prevent them from ever having a chance to progress uh, and take away the possibility that they could have ever become a cancer. So sometimes what I see is that people think they had polyps, and I look at the pathology report, and it's really not a polyp at all. It's some kind of hyperplastic thing. But if you take the people who actually have adenomas, so that is the kind of abnormal growth phase that eventually can become a cancer if left, just because I, if you find an adenoma in me doesn't mean I'm going to have colon cancer, right? That's correct. So the uh, there, uh, as you mentioned, are different types of polyps. Uh, the precancerous polyps are uh, termed adenoma, uh, whereas like hyperplastic polyp uh, typically has no risk of ever progressing to a cancer. But not every polyp would ultimately ever grow or progress to a cancer. But the uh, high-risk uh, adenomas are those that are uh, over one centimeter in size, so the larger polyps. Uh, it's thought that the uh, larger, flatter polyps also may be higher risk. 
So once a polyp is detected, that tissue is then sent to the pathologist. They evaluate it under the microscope and then can uh, tell you what type of uh, polyp it is. Um, and if it's a type of polyp that has any precancerous potential, so that would typically be an adenoma. And then if there's any other high-risk features um, that indicate the polyp was uh, progressing onward closer towards a cancer. But the uh, most polyps we find uh, tend to be on the small side, so under uh, five millimeters. Um, and these are uh, overall very low risk, but it's, uh, thought that most polyps would uh, progress over seven to 10 years or longer. And um, so by clearing the colon out of polyps, in particular those larger and flatter polyps, that's what actually reduces the risk of colon cancer from developing. And actually we know that from large randomized studies where tens of thousands of people were enrolled and half got screening colonoscopies and half got regular follow-up and the incidence of colon cancer was reduced substantially. Yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of similar to uh, uh, what a dermatologist does. You know, if you find a funny-looking mole, uh, typically would be able to take that off and then uh, prevent that from ever having a chance to progress. So with colonoscopy, we have uh, visually identifiable precursors to cancer that we can uh, effectively remove through the scope and then take them out of the picture so that they never have a chance to cause trouble. So let's just say that every 50-year-old in the country went to get colonoscopy and there were enough gastroenterologists to do it and everybody got screened this way. What percentage of colon cancer could be avoided if we actually had 100% compliance with this? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I think uh, the vast majority of colon cancer could be avoided. Like 90%? I think I think so. I think close to uh, probably ninety percent. So there there may be some very rare uh, scenarios where there's a genetic predisposition to rapidly a polyp taking off and turning bad. Um, and colonoscopy uh, itself is not one hundred percent accurate. Just like you know any test, there's factors of the preparation and uh, you know the ability to see the entire uh, colon. So it's it's not typically possible to have a hundred percent accuracy in identifying every single polyp. But this is uh, you know a remarkably uh, preventable. Uh, disease, and um, it's a really great opportunity to uh, reduce a, a cancer that I think is still the third leading cause of uh, cancer death. Right. So, I mean, I really want to emphasize that, that colon cancer is largely preventable, and this test, even though we don't like to think about our colons and colon health and what's involved in a colonoscopy, compared to mammography, like almost every woman goes for mammography. This test is a lot better because you were, you're doing the biopsy at the same time and you're preventing cancer at the same time. I mean, it is so much, does so much more for the person than just getting a mammography uh, the, because we not only know that we've got the tissue that shows that it's premalignant, but it also will prevent that premalignant polyp from eventually becoming a colon cancer. Yeah, no, this is really a huge opportunity uh, to take the third leading cause of cancer off the table by, you know, getting a colonoscopy, um, uh, typically for most people at age 50. 
If, uh, if you do have a first-degree relative that's had advanced polyps or cancer, we typically recommend the test uh, 10 years before that uh, family member had uh, uh, advanced polyp or cancer. So like if my father or a brother or sister had colon cancer, we should really, I should really start at 40 or 10 years earlier than when the age they were when they got colon cancer. Correct. And that, that's a very important thing, too, that we know in certain families you can get colon cancer at a younger age. And it's important to take that into account when you're planning your screening. So um, is, is colonoscopy, like, do people need to worry about getting covered by insurance, screening colonoscopies? I mean, clearly, if you have a medical indication, you had bleeding, whatever, then it's going to be covered without any question. But for just screening purposes, is, is there, do people have problem getting that covered by their insurance? I don't think so. In the, in the United States, it's uh, typically accepted that uh, a, a, you know, screening colonoscopy for an individual that is, you know, healthy and has no family members with uh, colon cancer um, is uh, uh, appropriate and recommended screening option. And some, there's some other ways of screening in addition to colonoscopy. I mean, we like it because, as I said before, it's diagnostic and preventive, and some of the other things are just, you know, uh, able to give us a, uh, an indication of detection, but do you want to kind of review what other options besides colonoscopy are available today? Sure, yeah. The, you know, uh, there are other options, and the take-home message is that some degree of screening is going to highly benefit you. So they can check uh, the stool for blood, which can be an indication of a polyp or cancer that's intermittently bled. There's a recently improved uh, DNA stool test where they can look for shed DNA from an advanced polyp or cancer. Um, there's uh, also uh, options of sort of doing uh, CAT scan-based uh, screening where they do what sometimes termed a virtual colonoscopy where they try to get uh, pictures of the entire colon to identify if polyps are present. Um, and there's ongoing work for perhaps a blood test or a mini capsule that can see the colon. So these are all important. I think the take-home message is that, you know, get yourself screened, uh, look at colonoscopy, look at the other options. The thing with these other tests is if they find something, then it's uh, likely that a colonoscopy would be recommended because they're basically indicating that a polyp may be present, and it's actually the removal of that polyp that leads to the prevention of colon cancer. Well, thank you. Uh, we are going to take a short break now for a medical minute. Please stay tuned to learn more information about colonoscopy and the treatment for colorectal cancer with Dr. Harry Aslanian. Support for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by AstraZeneca, working to change the cancer paradigm through personalized medicine. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. The American Cancer Society estimates that more than 60,000 Americans will be diagnosed with head and neck cancer this year. Although the percentage of oral and head and neck cancer patients in the United States is only about 5% of all diagnosed cancers, there are challenging side effects associated with these types of cancer and their treatment. 
Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center, to test innovative new treatments for head and neck cancers. In many cases, less radical surgeries are able to preserve nerves, arteries, and muscles in the neck, enabling patients to move, speak, breathe, and eat normally after surgery. This has been a Medical Minute, brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Howard Hoxter, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Harry Eslanian, a gastroenterologist at the Yale Cancer Center, and we are discussing colonoscopy and the surgical treatment of colon cancer. So we were just talking about different ways of screening. I mean, we talked previously, mostly we were focusing on colonoscopy. So there's a test for looking at DNA in the stool, like I've seen this advertised, and they've got the little boxes dancing around, and then you, but you have to collect your stool and send it off to the lab, right? So, how does that test work, and how does that compare to colonoscopy? Yeah, so um, what the developers of that test look at the genetic mutations that are typically found in a colon cancer or an advanced polyp, which would be a polyp that's sort of grown and progressed to just up to a cancer. And then uh, we know that uh, the cancers or polyps uh, will shed some uh, DNA, shed cells into the stool. So basically they're looking for cancer DNA in the stool and uh, looking for the mutations in those cells that identify that uh, a cancer was releasing them. And how accurate is that test? Uh, is it going to be pretty good about picking up the big polyps, and will it miss some? Yeah, it it seems to be about 80 85% accurate in identifying uh, cancers and, and very advanced polyps. So it's, it's quite good. Um, it, it's not uh, by any means 100% accurate. Um, and if it does find something, then your doctor would recommend a colonoscopy to see if there's something there that needs to be removed or uh, treated if, if there is something more advanced. So the idea be behind that kind of test is you, you would lower the number of people who actually needed colonoscopy. But if your test comes back funny, you're still going to need a colonoscopy because we want to remove the polyp and get the diagnosis of a polyp or even... Uh, hopefully not, but or even an early cancer. That's correct. Yeah. So these tests are basically uh, sort of like a pre-screening to say is colonoscopy uh, going to benefit this patient, and uh, the uh, we call fecal occult blood test. So is a similar idea. So it's looking for uh, small amounts of blood in the stool that you know may be uh, uh, invisible to the eye but uh, can be detected on a, t on a test. Um, these uh, uh, fecal-called blood tests are done more f frequently, typically on an annual basis, and then if positive, would uh, uh, warrant uh, evaluation with colonoscopy. But um, it's, uh, you know, uh, as we talked about, sort of everyone who's healthy and what we call asymptomatic, so having no trouble with the bowels, it's advised that they have a, a colon cancer screening uh, at age 50. But uh, it's also very useful to look out for uh, uh, symptoms, as, as, uh, as you know. So uh, 
The symptoms to look out for would be blood in the stool, uh, which can be uh, red blood or sometimes um, maroon in coloration. Um, if there's abdominal pain, weight loss, if someone has anemia, so low blood counts or low iron counts, that can be a sign of chronic blood loss that could indicate a, a cancer or polyp that's bleeding. And also if there's a change in bowel habits, so if your bowels have been regular uh, throughout your life and then you suddenly have uh, a lot of constipation or diarrhea that's you know, uh, very unusual and, and an ongoing symptom, then that can be an indication that there's a change uh, in the colon that might warrant evaluation even if you're uh, uh, below age 50. So any of those symptoms, you should really go to your doctor and you should make sure you get a colonoscopy. Unfortunately, I've heard this story more than once of young people, even in their 30s, who have some of these symptoms and their doctors just don't take it very seriously. They're internists and uh, they don't get worked up appropriately. Yeah, you know, it's um, it's important to sort of... Uh, you know, be in touch with what's uh, happening with your bowels um, and to report to your doctor, uh, you know, on any uh, changes um, and also to be aware of your family history. So we talked about history of colon cancer, colon pulse, but sometimes other types of cancer can also uh, be related to uh, uh, a risk of colon cancer. So it's helpful to gather that information from your family. Um, and then regarding uh, uh, abdominal uh, symptoms or blood in the stool. So um, it is correct that the most common cause of seeing red blood, say on the toilet tissue or uh, on the surface of the stool would be hemorrhoids, but it's important not to just assume that all bleeding is hemorrhoidal and uh, to review that with your doctor, uh, particularly if it's uh, an ongoing or progressive symptom. Yeah, we, I think we've all seen that scenario way too many times where people thought it was a hemorrhoid for months or years even, and then they landed up having more advanced colon cancer. So um, so the colonoscopy, again, it's going to be, it, it's, a little, it's a, you know, a little bit to go through, but it doesn't have to be done that often. It's going to remove tissue for diagnosis at the same time, so you don't need another procedure for a biopsy. And we know if we remove polyps, it's actually preventative. So colonoscopy is really a, a, a very effective and uh, cost-effective way to do colon cancer screening. Even though there are other tests that are out there, they still have some uh, fault, more false positives and false negatives, less accuracy than a colonoscopy. Um, it may it may change. You know, the tests may get better, and hopefully, we can cut down on the number of people who need colonoscopy. But uh, we're not there yet today. Yeah, and I think, uh, like we were saying before the break, uh, this is really a huge opportunity uh, to take the uh, third leading cause of cancer death off the table, and um, it's uh, really among the great successes of cancer uh, prevention that that we've seen in modern medicine. So um, you, you do the colonoscopy. So, you know, basically the patient gets sedated. I've had propofol twice, so I didn't even remember anything. I woke up, I went back to work. Um, and uh, so it, it's really pretty short acting and you can continue doing everything pretty normally by the next day for sure, or possibly the same day. So if you take out a polyp, then you send it off for pathologic examination. What happens with that and, and the results then? 
Yeah, so then uh, the pathologist would uh, identify what type of polyp it is. So uh, if it's a polyp like an adenoma that has uh, uh, some degree of uh, cancer potential, then based on the size and number of polyps that you had, and if you have any family history, your gastroenterologist would recommend uh, when to repeat the test. So uh, if there's no polyps that are uh, adenomatous detected or have any precancerous potential, and there's no family history, then uh, you would not need to repeat the test for 10 years. And if there's a couple small polyps, less than uh, three, uh, then uh, typically is roughly a five-year repeat. Um, so we factor all this in um, to see uh, 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 if additional sort of more frequent checkups would be warranted. But it does appear clear that that very first colonoscopy is probably the highest value that, that, uh, that you'll encounter. So getting that first one done uh, at age 50 or sooner if you have family history is uh, really where you get the most benefit. And for, again, I'm not talking about people who've had colon cancer or have polyps and all that, but just for screening colonoscopy, if you had one, 50, 60, 70, is there an upper age limit where you stop doing screening colonoscopies? Yeah, that's, uh, um, you know, been evaluated. The U.S. Uh, Preventive uh, Task Force has suggested that perhaps uh, for some individuals after age 75, the risk-benefit uh, ratio might favor discontinuing uh, surveillance colonoscopy. But as you know, age is such a relative uh, 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 factor um, that it needs to be indiv individualized. But there probably is uh, at some point in the 70s or 80s where uh, the benefits of additional colonoscopies are, are uh, minimal. So, um, so you, you get the report back from the pathologist if these are adenomas or not, and you use that to guide when the next colonoscopy is needed. Um, what happens if it's, you know, a, a more advanced polyp, like what we would call dysplasia or a, a early cancer? Then w what happens? Yeah, so the... Uh, uh, Whenever we find something that's advanced uh, that could be uh, just shy of a cancer or a very superficial cancer, uh, we want to ensure that complete removal has been achieved. So there are uh, some polyps that are uh, identified just before they've uh, become a cancer going deeper into the wall. And many of these we can successfully treat uh, with colonoscopy and remove them completely through the scope. but. Uh, with a more advanced polyp, um, in some cases, if, if it's uncertain if it was completely removed, particularly with these sessile polyps, which are more carpet-like instead of mushroom-like, uh, it, uh, if it, uh, complete removal is not certain, may be recommended that uh, a repeat check occurs within roughly six months. But, uh, you know, these are the uh, polyps where uh, there's really a, a remarkable benefit because um, they're uh, fully treated uh, through the scope and uh, clearly would have become a cancer if they had sat there for additional couple years. And, and if it's more like the mushroom type and it's just in the head, you can cut off the, the bottom of the stalk and that's 100% effective pretty much. Yes, and all this is... is uh, confirmed under the microscope. So microscopically, the pathologist will be able to tell us um, that uh, 
if everything is completely removed. Um, if a more advanced lesion has uh, been identified, so if there's a cancer where uh, it's gone deeper into the wall, typically colonoscopy can remove things that are on the, uh, the inner surface, what we call the mucosal layer of the tube of the colon. If, if the cancer has gone uh, into the deeper layers or through the wall of the colon, um, then uh, additional treatment, uh, which you're uh, extremely expert in, uh, would be required. But most of the time, even if you find something that's an early cancer, it's still pretty good, pretty likely to be an early stage that's not going to require anything more than surgery at the most. You know, so again, optimally, you would remove it completely with the colonoscopy and no surgery would be needed. But even if it's an early cancer that's not causing you symptoms, then you might need uh, some surgery. But surgery today is not like it used to be. Yeah, and we do know that uh, people undergoing colonoscopy, uh, if a cancer is found, it's going to be in an earlier stage than in, in those that just wait for symptoms to develop. Right. And, and so what kind of surgery do they land up doing for these kind of early colon cancers? Yeah. Uh, for typically, they would remove uh, a segment of the colon and then sample lymph nodes uh, around that area. Um, in some cases, it can be done uh, laparoscopically. Um, so it uh, really has become a much more straightforward operation, and uh, the recovery time has really uh, been minimized. Dr. Harry Aslanian is Associate Professor of Medicine and Digestive Diseases and Associate Director of Endoscopy at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. I'm Bruce Barber, reminding you to tune in each week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.